everybody here. So today we will continue in our series on the doctrines of grace. Um, I also wanted to give everybody uh, not only, you know, um, you've been getting the updates on uh, Debbie and also what Martin said, but also uh, Mike Rahaley, he also had a procedure done on his back a couple of weeks ago, and I've been in contact with him. He's been home. The procedure went really good, um, and I was uh, chatting with him uh, yesterday, and he's going to be able to start moving. The doctor didn't want him to move too much, but he's going to be able to start moving freely uh, tomorrow to be moving board, but he's doing good. His pain is now down to an ache so that is really good news for Mike and everything and so yeah please keep uh, Debbie in your prayers um, Bill did not send me an update on Debbie this morning so um, I know the surgery went well you know they fixed the the, the broken arm and the broken kneecap but uh, it seems like she's having some other problems with potassium and other things like that so keep her in your prayers and keep uh other people in your prayers on that on the prayer list too so let's go ahead and pray and then we will we will dig into this father we thank you that we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb father what a glorious thought that is for us if we truly meditated on our redemption lord and i pray that we would do such a thing so today father as we Look at your word, Father, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that Christ would be seen as our all in all. I pray that your spirit would accompany the preaching of your word, Lord. I pray, Father, we would see his atonement more clearly today, Father, through your word and through uh, your spirit leading us through it. So, Father, please do this for your glory. We ask all of it in your name. Amen. So we've taken a little break out of going through a book, and we've been going through the doctrines of grace. And so we've hit two of the doctrines of grace. The first one we hit was total depravity or radical depravity, meaning that we are dead when Paul in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That word dead means that you're a corpse. You're dead. And just as a corpse is not able to respond to anything, we likewise, as corpses that are dead spiritually, cannot respond spiritually to anything. So the next one we looked at was sovereign love. So we asked the question, if we are dead, how can we come to Jesus if we're dead? How do we come to Jesus? Because a corpse can't get up and walk. So how does it, we come to Jesus? Well, we see God's sovereign love for us. We see God's choosing of us. We see God's electing love towards us. We see a God appointing us to salvation. We see that clearly within the scriptures. We see that the reason that you raised your hand or you walked down the aisle or you said the sinner's prayer was because God had made you alive already. This is our glorious salvation. Our salvation is glorious because it comes from the glorious one. It is nothing of our own doing. Ephesians is clear on that. 
We are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. We've done nothing to save ourselves. It's all the work of God because we were dead. And so we see God makes us alive. And that's why we respond to the gospel is because he makes us alive. He opens our eyes. So today, what I want us to look at is a definitive atonement. I want us to look at Jesus' atonement. This is what the cross was. This is the cross work of Jesus. What actually took place on that cross. But it comes with a few questions that have to be asked. Here's a couple of the questions we have to ask. What did Jesus accomplish with his death? This is your homework. You guys write all these down because I want all the answers next week. <laughs> what did Jesus accomplish with his death? What did his death do? Did Jesus' death merely make salvation possible for everyone because he died for all without actually saving anyone? Or did his death actually accomplish the salvation of those for whom he died? Those are fair questions. Does the Bible teach that Jesus died for all? A universal salvation. Or does the Bible teach that Jesus redeems a particular people? That's the question that we will answer today. Is that John Murray... In his book, On the Atonement of Christ, he writes this, The very nature of Christ's mission and accomplishment is involved in this question. Did Christ come to make salvation of all men possible, to remove obstacles that stood in the way of salvation, and merely to make provisions for salvation? Or did he come to save his people? Did he come to make men redeemable, or did he come effectually and infallibly to redeem? What actually took place when Christ said, it is finished? Was it a possibility or was it an accomplishment when he said it was finished? Did he make all things possible for salvation or did he accomplish salvation? That's what Murray writes. The Bible says this, that Jesus actually saves. He actually saves. He does not make salvation a possibility, but he is the one who saves. Listen to these verses. Listen to Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say he will, he will save all people from their sins. But there's a particular word in there, and that word is his. He will save all his people. Galatians 1, 3, and 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and of the will of our God and Father. First Timothy 1.15, Paul writes this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. First Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we see clearly that Jesus saves his people. He saves his people. His death was for those that the Father gives him. His death was for those that the Father gives him. He says this in John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last days. So his death is for those that God has given him. Who are those that God has given him? His sheep. His elect. His chosen. Those are who the Father has given him. Listen to John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Lays down his life for his sheep. Are all people his sheep? That's a fair question to ask, right? Is everybody in the world since Adam to where we are now, are they all his sheep that he lays down his life for? Well, let's listen to what Jesus says in John 24, or 10, 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in the Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we see that Jesus clearly says that the reason you don't believe in my works, the reason you don't believe that I am the Christ, is because you are not my sheep. So does that mean that everybody is saved? No. And we would agree with that. Most people in this room would agree with that, that not all people are saved. And even Jesus says that. You don't believe because you're what? You're not my sheep. Now, you're not arguing with me. You argue with what the word says. And that's what he says. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. So we see that Jesus' death is for his sheep. But it was for his sheep, but it was for his church also. Right? It was for his church. Ephesians 5, 25, and 26 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Notice what it says. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A particular people. Who's the particular people? The church. What is the church? The church is the ecclesia of God which is what? The called out ones. His chosen ones. His elect. This is who he died for. This is who he atones for. So we see that Jesus' death was for his church. 
So what's the design of the atonement then? What's the design of the cross work of Jesus? So we have to look at it this way. In his atonement, did Jesus actually redeem anyone? These are questions that we have to think through. Did Jesus actually redeem anyone? Did his death reconcile any specific individual to God? Did did his sacrifice make a true propitiation or a true appeasement or a true, uh, uh, made it sufficient for God for our sins? Was Jesus' death an actual atonement? Or we have to look at the other question. Did Jesus' death simply make redemption possible? Did it simply make reconciliation possible? Did it simply make propitiation possible? And did it simply make an atonement possible? What did he mean when he said it was finished? Was it accomplished or was it possibility? Here we go. Atonement. Atonement. This is what atonement means. The reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. This is where Christ takes care of our sin. We look at atonement all through the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament sacrifices in Exodus and Leviticus. And they were all to, what? For sin, for sin, for sin. To atone for our sin. To atone for our sin. One thing we see in the Old Testament is that the the sacrificial uh, sacrifices who who did them does anybody know who did them what nation did them what's that the jews right the israelites how come it wasn't the jebusites how come god didn't give them to the amorites or the hittites or the canaanites or the assyrians did god have a particular people in the old testament Absolutely. Absolutely, he had a particular people in the Old Testament. Right? Deuteronomy says that I chose you because you were the least, because I loved you. So we see that. So Jesus is actually, all those sacrifices that they had in the Old Testament prefigured Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all of those sacrifices, he's the fulfillment of them all. So let's look. What did the atonement accomplish? What did the atonement accomplish? So let's look at redemption. It accomplished redemption. To redeem means to buy back. A deliverance by payment of a ransom. Right? Think of a pawn shop. If you take something to the pawn shop, you pawn it off for cash so you could go do something with the cash, but then you come back and you redeem what you had given them. Right? Think of that as a pawn shop. This is what Jesus does. Does he, he redeems his people. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Listen to the definitiveness of those words. It's 
definite. It is accomplished. Nowhere in Paul's writing does he say anywhere that Jesus' atonement or our redemption is a possibility that's up to you. No, he says Jesus redeemed us at the cross. It wasn't a possibility. He redeemed his bride. He bought back his bride. He paid the ransom for his bride. That's what he does. Hebrews 9.12 He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption securing that redemption for us. This is what he did. He accomplished redemption. Paul, when he writes to, Gal to the church in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then Peter, in verses 1, 18, and 19, says this, knowing that you were ransomed, there it is. There's our word, ransom, redeemed. From your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When the Bible says that Jesus redeemed us, this means he truly redeemed us. He set you free. That's what he did. He set you free. He redeemed you from the pit of hell. This is what he did. A glorious salvation, brothers and sisters. You have been redeemed. This is what it has accomplished. Therefore, those who have been redeemed are truly redeemed. It was not redemption made possible. It was redemption accomplished for his people. You are redeemed. Secondly, let's look at reconciliation. Did he po was it reconciliation a possibility or was it accomplished? Reconciliation, therefore, is what? Restored friendly relations between to coexist in harmony. So now you might run into somebody and say, well, I don't need to be reconciled to God because I have always loved God my whole life. I never hated God. God was always there in my life. Well, listen to what Romans 10 says, or Romans 5, verse 10 and 11. Part, sorry for that. For if while we were enemies, stop there. We didn't know his love God, did we? God wasn't always best person on our thing God says we were what enemies we were enemies to him because of our sin we were enemies to him we weren't just any kind of enemies but we were infinite enemies to him his wrath as we looked at last week was on us we were by nature children of wrath we were objects of his wrath this is what makes our salvation so glorious, is what he has done. Not what we think we did, because we did nothing. 
The only thing you and I bring to the table is our sin. But it's what he has done. For if yet while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How were you reconciled to God? Did you sit down and have a talk with him? Did you have the mediator there? Did you come to some knowledge where you woke up one morning and said, God, time we have a heart to heart. We need to, we need to work this out. No, you didn't do that. This is what happened. You were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It was the cross work of Jesus Christ that reconciled you and I to God. Jesus is the one who has done the reconciliation work. It is done. It is finished. We have been reconciled to God. We now, as his children, since he has saved us, since he has brought us to life, we what? We live in harmony with him. We are no longer the objects of his wrath. Because why? Because the cross work of Jesus accomplished reconciliation. Romans eleven fifteen. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean by the life of the dead? We are reconciled. We are Gentiles reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Colossians 1.21 and 22 And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is a great verse because it tells us who we are, right? It says you were what? We were alienated, we were hostile in mind, and we were doing evil deeds. Right? That's what we were doing. We weren't doing a sit down with God and having a hashing it out. That's what we were doing. And he says, but guess what happens? My son came and he reconciled you. Through his body, through his flesh, he reconciles us. So what kind of reconciliation would it be if both parties involved continued to fight? It's no reconciliation at all. Reconciliation accomplished for a particular people, for his bride. Let's look at, how about propitiation? Was propitiation universal? Is propitiation for all men of all times? So that all men are saved? Who did Jesus actually propitiate God's wrath for? Who did he appease that wrath for? Romans 3.25 whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So we see that Christ is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction. He is the atonement for you and I. For you and I. Hebrews 2.17 says this, therefore he had to be made like his Brothers, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
Who's the Hebrews writer writing to? He's writing to a church. His people. He propitiates God's wrath for his people. He satisfies God's wrath for sin for his bride. This is what he does. Does he make it possible? No. Is there still a drop in the cup of God's wrath that you have to drink? Yes or no? No. Because Jesus drank all of God's wrath for his bride. So he would do, so he could present her holy and blameless to the Father. Nothing you and I can do to satisfy God's wrath. Nothing you and I can do to atone for our sin. Nothing you and I can do to remove that sin from us. Christ is the one who has done it. He did not make it possible. He did it. And we have to see that he did it to see how glorious of a salvation we have. We have to see that he did it. Did Jesus propitiate the sins of all the people of all the world? As a result, all the people will be saved? No. Jesus propitiates the sins for his people, his elect, his bride, who alone are saved. Who alone are saved. This means we have a definitive atonement. We have a definitive atonement. His atonement was an atonement. It was done. It was a real atonement. And it atoned for you and I's sin. That same verse in Hebrews chapter 2, 17. Can you go back to that one? Hebrews 2, 17. Oh, you're there. So where it says propitiation, we can also, some versions, put atonement. That Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people. It was an actual atonement that took place that saves us, is what it was. So we see that Jesus accomplishes our redemption. We see that he accomplishes our reconciliation. He propitiates God's wrath because it is an actual definitive atonement for his bride. Now in closing, think this way. A redemption that does not redeem. A reconciliation that does not reconcile. A propitiation that does not propitiate and an atonement that does not atone cannot help anybody doesn't do anybody any good. You want to know why it doesn't do you any good? Because you're dead. You cannot redeem yourself. If you sit here and you're an unbeliever and you do not trust Christ for your eternal salvation and you're not trusting Him as your Lord and Savior, understand something right now. You cannot redeem yourself. 
You cannot reconcile yourself to God. You cannot propitiate. You cannot satisfy. You cannot appease God's wrath. You cannot atone for your sins. It is impossible for you to do it because you are dead. But if you sit here today and you're a believer, then you have to understand that Christ, that your redemption is a redemption that redeems, that redeemed you. Your reconciliation has reconciled you. Christ has propitiated God's wrath for you. And his atonement is a true atonement. And that reveals a most amazing grace on God's part. And it draws us to rest in him. And it shows you and I what a glorious salvation we have. So today, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Praise God that you are redeemed. You are reconciled. You are set free. Christ bore God's wrath for you. And his atonement not only glorifies God in the highest, but is an actual definitive atonement for you, his Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Father, thank you for the work that Christ has done. Lord, as we look at it, oh, Father, just invade our hearts with the truth that we were dead and you've made us alive. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And Father, I pray for those here today that might not be saved. That you would open their eyes, Father, to the grave danger that they are in. Their eternal state, Father. I pray you would open their eyes that they would see Christ. Not only as their Savior and their Lord and their King. But as the one who accomplished their redemption. Father, please open their eyes to see that he's the one that satisfies your wrath. And that you, Jesus, are the one who reconciles them to your Father. Lord, do a saving work today in this little building. If there are any in here, Father, give them the gift to repent. Give them the gift of faith that they would follow you. And for us, Father, that are your children, strengthen us, Father, that we would live faithful lives to you. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand as we 